Well, good to be with you uh, this morning, church. As we uh, gather for Easter, it's good to see your faces uh, and your families um, all together this morning. Well, I've, uh, I've decided this week, I've, knew, I've known for a long time, but I've, I've decided that I am like old enough now to have a little bit of nostalgia. Like, to have you, you guys in that place? That's why we have places like, we used to live in Missouri, like Branson, Missouri. How many of you have been to Branson, Missouri? Oh, God bless you, right? Yeah. Right? Like where we like create places where we go back in time to remember all the stuff that we used to love. Well, I'm getting to that point, except it doesn't look like Branson. It looks like more like Nintendo 64. But I'm getting to that point. But I was trying to think of a, of a time in my life that was a great disappointment and a great letdown and, and one that was appropriate to share. And I had a hard time, right? Like, uh, as I, I even asked Stephanie this week, and I said, well, I could share that one, but that would offend somebody in my family, and th- everything's on the internet nowadays, so I can't use that one. And, and so I just kept it going and, and asking, and, and, and so I found a fun one that I had to dig for, right? Because I'm nostalgic. Everything in the past is great and dandy, right? And, and there are times I remember, and I remember my uh, sophomore year of college, and then my sophomore year of college was like the best, right? Like I could take naps in the daytime be- between classes, and it was good. And, and there's so much good going on in my life. My uh, I, I went went to college, and Stephanie's a year uh, younger. She reminds me every year of that. And and so she uh, left her hometown, and she went came to my university. It's my university because I was there first. And so she came to. <laughs> Uh, my university, and we weren't dating at the time, but little did she know I was going to win that battle, right? Uh, and so I was excited about that, and then I was, I was good. I had good friends, and we had good adventures. And, and best of all, my college bill was paid for. And college kids, you like, and your parents, you like excited about that. And, and it was awesome. But not only was it uh, paid for, it was paid for a lot. Like, it was completely paid for. Uh, and I, I became an RA, like a, a dorm dad, where I got paid for that room and board. And then um, my efforts on the football field my freshman year were rewarded the next season. And so that was really good and really fun. And, 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 I, and I was there and I started this ministerial scholarship uh, program. And so not only was it paid for, but there was extra where they would just hand me a check at the end of the semester. I don't know if they do this. They shouldn't do this anymore. So imagine a, a college kid getting a check for $7,000. I told you it was good, right? A college kid for seven dollars. You want to know where it went? I ate it, <laughs> as you can see, right? Which then helped me on the football field. But I ate it. It went to it went to food. You ate some of it too. It went to food, <laughs> and it went to movies, right? Like. I, I just I, I ate it, but it was a it was a good time and it was a good life. My sophomore year of college, our football team was doing awesome. We had this All American quarterback who went on later to play for the Chiefs, and we had this uh, this running back that uh, transferred from the Ohio State University to come and play with us because he got caught cheating, and so he had to come play with us. Uh, but he was really really good, and 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 I was a sophomore. I earned a position, a starting position with an offensive line full of seniors and our playbook was so big that I didn't know any plays I knew about five plays and so I would just ask the, the senior next to me hey what do I do and he would just point at the guy and say hit him and I did right and 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 it was just a a fun a fun time in in our in our in our lives in in my life in particular and we as a team did I just kick that over we as a team 
um, were bad, like bad in a good way, right? And we were excited about the season. We were going to win it all. And, and I, was, I was aggressive and relentless, and, and I was just going to do what I needed to do. And so I showed this by never washing my hair, right? And so I think we've got, a, we've got an image here for you. Literally never washing my hair. That's a side of your pastor you've never seen, right? Like I was just, I was ready to go. We were gonna, we were gonna beat everyone. We were just gonna do it. It was gonna, it was gonna happen. And so we started to roll through the season, and we were rolling over everybody. Nobody had a chance. We were just making it happen week after week after week. All that hard work, all the sweat, all the the energy expended uh, during that time was paying off. And and so people started to talk about us nationwide. And we were in news. Don't take pictures of that easy now. <laughs> Thank you. Love you, Mike. Love you, Mike. Uh, we were, hey, don't love you anymore, right? Now, we, we, were, we were starting to roll in this local um, sports station uh, called KC Metro. Now they're, now they're all about the Chiefs and KU and all that. But then they were just new. They were babies. And they asked our coach, can we do an all-access documentary on your season? We think you're going to win out. Like, can we just come follow you along? And like, okay, well, they're going to be in the locker rooms. They're going to be everywhere. Then we're going to have, like, a TV camera on us at all times, right? And so this is a Christian university. So we got the be, like, be nice pep talk, right? And so they went. They followed us everywhere, and we, we won out the season, 12-0, the perfect season, right? That nobody stood a chance. And then we stepped into the playoffs, and we just thought we were just going to wipe through everybody. We're going to win the national championship. We're going to get another goofy ring that I have now at home that my kids play, for, play with their, their jewelry boxes. As Tom reminds me, I have lady hands, and they just look funny. <laughs> Right, but but we were gonna do it, and so we we step up to the first playoff game. It's at home. Everything's great. The TV cameras on. We have like our own purple, our personal uh, paparazzi. Right, so we're standing tall, like we walk with the swagger, and we go into the game. It's a good game. Uh, it, it's a good school. And um, we're winning. We're winning. We're winning. Fourth quarter, they come back. We're not winning anymore. Like we might die. Right, like we might perish right here. Um, but we come back and we tie it up and we head to overtime. Overtime comes. Uh, the, the, we, we stop them and they kick a field goal. And then now it's our turn. And so we go and we got stopped. So we kick the field goal. And always those kickers, the guys that eat sunflower seeds, all practice. It comes down to them, right? And so we kick the field goal. It's tied again. Second uh, overtime, uh, we come out. Uh, we come right out of the gate. We score a touchdown, our first play from scrimmage. We're going to win this. We got the TV cameras. We can't lose, right? We've, we've got everything. And so they come out. We hold them. We hold them. We hold them fourth down. I, somehow the dude slips out. Touchdown. They score second overtime. So that's all right. We'll block the kick. That's what you do. Block that kick. Block that kick. Right? Except they didn't come out for a kick. They came out for a two-point conversion. So now you got it, right? You feel, you're riding the roller coaster, those butterflies, and, and, and now it all comes down to your defense, and I'm not really a defensive fan. And, and so I'm sitting there, like, we're like, you know, like you've seen grown men hold hands on the side of the side? Yes. And so we're like holding hands, we're doing all that stuff, we got the TV cameras, we're ready, we're anxious, we're, we're there. So they come out for their two-point conversion. They want to win it all. And the biggest, slowest, most unathletic tight end I've ever seen catches a perfect three-yard touchdown pass. They beat us by one point. Yeah, yeah, it was tough, right? 
disappointment. Have you ever, have you ever witnessed a grown man cry on, on television, <laughs> on, a, on a movie screen? I haven't, but I've witnessed my friends, right? <laughs> That, 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 that feeling of, uh, of, uh, of doing everything that you can to get somewhere or to do something that it was going to work out and you knew it was and there was evidence that it was going to happen, right? There was evidence that, that, that nothing was going to stop this, whatever it was, and then you come down to it and it just doesn't happen. Right, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of football uh, anymore. I do the football thing because I like the people and the investment and and the, and what it means to to walk in that. But but the football teaches a lot about life. Taught me a lot about life. For us, I would just been sitting playing Nintendo 64, right? But it also brought a lot of disappointment in some, some areas of my life. And so uh, we, we come to those places and spaces of life, every one of us, and if you haven't, buckle up. You're going to get there one day. And so store this away for later. But I want you to have in your mind as we read today this image and that feeling of what it looks like and maybe what it looked like in your life to come to a place of major disappointment where you were hopeless. Right, for some of those guys I played with, that was the last time they ever put a helmet on their head. That was the last time they ever were part of a team and 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 a group that was like that. For them, there was no hope left, and it brought out the ugly cry. And there are times in my life where there's been no hope left, and it brings out the ugly cry. And so, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Luke chapter twenty-four, um, where we're gonna we're gonna read and pick up right after the resurrection uh, of Christ. If you uh, remember in in the book of Luke, Luke's account of the resurrection of the tomb uh, goes a little bit like this: Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women go to the tomb with their spices to prepare Jesus. And and then two men in clothes that says that gleamed like lightning. They stood beside them in the tomb. And and they asked them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, right? Like Jesus is not in this tomb. He has risen. The ladies run back. They go and tell the men. And of course, men are a little bit hard-hearted, a little bit skeptical. And they thought that the ladies were crazy and they don't listen to them. And it probably could do us a little bit more good to listen to our ladies a little bit more. And all the ladies said, amen, right? But we, we have that message here. And, and, and so they go and Peter runs to the tomb to see for himself and wanders there in that place. Could it be true? Is Jesus alive? And then we have this account of, of two guys walking on the road in the wrong direction, and they have an encounter with a stranger. So church, hear the word of the Lord this morning from Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. It says this, Now that same day, the day that Jesus is raised, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, Why are you, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. 
About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this all took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And they approached the village to which they were going. And Jesus continued on as if they were going farther. He were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stand with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen, he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. Two were walking to this village called Emmaus, a seven-mile journey, reviewing the last days, the last weeks, the last months that they were in this situation with this man named Jesus. And if you've ever been through hard things, you know how these conversations are when you come down from these places of disappointment, right? These are like the um, drive home from the funeral conversations. They're not very fun. They're, they're not very good. These are the drive home from a, a failed something, a, a business venture, a, a family vacation, a whatever it is. The disappointment is thick and it runs deep in this place. It's the long walk home or the long drive home on the bus after you've lost the big meat. Or maybe it's the time where you come home from work again another day, struggling and fighting with your coworker, asking the question, will things ever change? The disappointment of your situation. And these guys are no different. They had this hope, and then their hope was crucified, literally on a cross, and all hope is lost. Our pastor says that Jesus himself came up and walked, away, walked with them. And right away, my preacher mind uh, starts to dissect all that that might mean for us and, and what it says about who God is. We, we recognize the significance of, of where Jesus meets them is a big deal. Like he doesn't come to Jerusalem like the capital of all things spiritual. He doesn't meet with them at their, at their, at their home waiting for them to, to get there and, and make that journey. He doesn't wait until church the next week to meet with them during the worship time. Rather, he meets with them right where they are on the road going in the wrong direction on their way home after a horrible disappointment. They're, they're not in a good place mentally, emotionally, 
some may say spiritually. They're right in the middle of their pain and their frustration and their hopelessness that is so close to overtaking them. So right in the middle of their journey, their commute on the way home. Remember that time that you spend in your car getting to your job? Maybe it's not wasted time after all, right? They're right in that, in that space and, and Jesus comes to them. We see a Jesus who rises from the grave. He just conquered sin and death, and now he's chasing some of his followers that are on their way home in disappointment, who, who have heard that, that, that the ladies have come back and said that he's alive, but they've chosen to go home anyways, right? They didn't choose to, to stick around and see how it all panned out, to see if it was really true. They're on their way home. They, they've written off all hope of, of what that might mean. They've left the disciples, and they've left Jerusalem. They've left it all behind. They're packing it in. But we're told that for for some reason, they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus is present with them, but also uh, unseen by them. And if you you live through the 90s and you listen to music, uh, that song always comes to mind. Like, I'm not going to sing it for you, but what if God was one of us, right? They're like just trying to make his way home or whatever he does. Like they, they're there like, and, and automatically, my personality, I start to chew my fingernails, right? Because I don't want to say something stupid in a situation like that, which is surprising because sometimes I say lots of stupid stuff. But, but automatically, I, I cringe with the, with the tension of this situation because I know who this guy is this stranger to those that are walking home. And, and also, just a side note, this is a reminder that Jesus is sneaky. Right? He's a sneaky. He is, right? He doesn't come up and announce. I think sometimes, if, especially if you've been in church for a long time, you think like, like meetings with Jesus are this big spiritual thing. Like it's going to be like an altar call for the rest of your life or you happen at camp. And so uh, some of us spend our entire lives trying to recreate those moments, right? But Jesus is sneaky. He will meet you wherever you are. He will intersect with you wherever you are. It doesn't matter. There are no limits. There is no place where God is not. He's he's there, and we obviously see his sneakiness because he he doesn't let them know who he is. And so he comes up to them as if he were a stranger, and he asks them, what's up? What are you talking about? What are you discussing as you walk along the way? This unseenness and this disguise paired together is something that just makes me cringe. Don't say it, right? Don't say something stupid. Don't say that you lost all hope. Just keep that to yourself, right? I saw a skit one time on uh, one of those uh, late night shows. And I don't remember which one, but it stuck with me for some reason because of that same cringy feeling. But they would ask people on the, whatever, the star walk, or as the stars on the sidewalk, they'd just stop a random dude and say, or a random lady and say, um, you know, so-and-so, our 50 Cent has just been uh, announced as the best rapper ever to live. What do you think about that? And they'd ask the question. But little did they know that 50 Cent was in the door behind them, right? It's a horrible trick, right? <laughs> and so they'd ask the question. Almost every one of them goes, no, I don't think 50 Cent is the best rapper ever, right? Like, I just don't, I don't, I think so-and-so is better, and I just don't. And so the, the, the person, right, they, they'd say this, and he's right behind them, right? How terrifying is that? 
And so the, 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 the mediator would say, well, why don't you tell him that he's not the best rapper ever? And so they'd look in the camera, 50 Cent, I don't think you're the best rapper ever. And then the, the guy would say, no, 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 why don't you tell him to his face? He's not the best rapper ever. And they're like, what? And he said, turn around. And they turn, and then it's this, right? And what do you say when you're in this situation, right? Some of them said, oh, yeah, 50 Cent, he's the best rapper ever, right? But they're in this situation. They're, they're walking down the road with Jesus, right? They're, they've just left all that. They've just moved on with their lives. And on this episode, Jesus is behind the door. I don't I hope they don't say anything stupid. And then Cleopas starts to get a little bit snarky. Are you the only one visiting this place? Like, this is huge. You remember Jerusalem's like full of people. Like, there are people everywhere. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? All of this place who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? Like, where have you been, dude? Like, have you checked Facebook recently? <laughs> have you seen these things? Watch the news. Mercy. But Jesus, sneaky. What things? Right? Well, why don't you tell me about these things? Why don't you tell me about these, uh, this stuff? And so here they are, the, the disciples who, who are sharing uh, the Jesus to Jesus, and they start to je tell Jesus about himself. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, there it is, we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Oof, that's a big phrase. But we had hoped. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm not. Every single one of us could write a book, like literally, a book about the times where we used that phrase. And we had hoped that things were going to turn out differently this time. We had hoped that the cancer wouldn't come back. We had hoped that this was the last relapse. We had hoped that, that God would come through. You hear that? Like that's the, the, the fear and the doubt and the defeat is palpable in their response to the stranger who's not really a stranger. We hear in these disciples' voices a wall of hopelessness that's built around them. They were trapped in their, in their misery. We had hope translates to, we don't expect it to happen now, but we once did. We don't, we don't think it's going to continue, but we, we once had this great hope in, in what this Jesus would do. I wonder if this is something that we can identify with living lives as humans in our world today. I mean, as we, as we live here and now, we know that there is great disappointment in life. The things that we had hoped for and the things that we wanted to see come about, sometimes they don't happen. And we use the we had hope phrase. Sometimes we're like these disciples who are running home to the familiar because their hope was crucified on the cross. We continue with them. We, we skip to verse 25 where Jesus the stranger responds to them in their explanation. 
It says, he said to them, how foolish you are. Now slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. And, and then he goes on and he, he tells them all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus, the stranger, opens the scriptures to them to give them this Bible re- lesson right there on the road. Now, I don't know if you're, you're like me. Sometimes a Bible lesson doesn't really hit me in the heart, but sometimes life hits me. In the, in the heart, and I, and I need a little bit of, uh, of explanation, and I think that's the case here. They, they get the, the explanation of those, of those scriptures from this stranger, and, and they, they begin to, 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 to feel that their hearts are burning inside of them, that there might be, and there could be, and there is just a little bit of hope, Right? We had thought that it was here. We had hit this this wall. But here this Jesus is telling us that things could be different. He opens their eyes to the the reality of, of who Jesus is as they walked on the road. But he did not open their eyes to who it was that was telling them these things. And, and so they continue. It says they, they get to the place in the fork in the road where, where they are stopping at their home. They're, they're in Emmaus, and, and Jesus continues down the path. And they say, whoa, 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 where are you going? Like, it's late. Why don't you come, you come stay with us? Why don't you, 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 you spend the night here? Why don't you come and, and have something to eat? And, and right away, if you know anything about, about this time, you know that that's not really what you do. In fact, I would dare to say that that's not really what you do because life is dangerous. People might disappoint us. But here we see hospitality and, and we see them, them, them urge Jesus to say, and, and that's a little bit of, of scariness there in their life, but they are on fire with the things that he had said to them. Not only do they invite him, but they urge him strongly. They are vulnerable with this Jesus. And they end up at the table. Everybody loves to eat. So they're there and they, they, they begin to, to, to start the meal. And verse 30 says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to him. Now, if you're a church kid or you've been around the church at any period of time and you've taken um, what we call communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's table, you know that this imagery is the imagery of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. We say that every time. We say, uh, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And so this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's holding this bread. They're they're, they're sitting with one another. They're having this this vulnerable moment. They're they're lounging. They're ready to to eat. They've walked this seven miles. It's time to to eat. And, And so they sit down and Jesus uses this language. And, and right when he breaks the bread, and right when he, when he says the prayer, that their eyes are opened and they recognize Jesus. A reminder, not only in the, in the symbolism, as we come together and as we participate in the table of our Lord, that Jesus is with us, but also that Jesus has make it, made a way. That where the bread is broken, where the body of Christ is broken, and the blood of Christ is shed, we're reminded that that has made a way for us. But his presence reminds us that he is alive and he is present. 
He is the one that has broken the bread. And then more awesomeness, he disappears. That's cool. We could talk about that all day. But their heads are spinning. They're trying to think back. Have you ever been in that situation where something cool happened, but you don't know how it really happened, and then you're kind of dumbfounded, and so you start to think about all the things that happened, and everything comes together with why it happened and how, how it looks, and, and they're in that place. They're trying to make sense of things where our heart's not burning with that within us when we talked with him on this road. And then right then in the night, they run those seven miles back. They're reminded of their friends. They're overjoyed that they have seen Jesus. They've had this intersection. They've had this encounter. They are, are, are here and, and Jesus is alive. What a contrast from the first seven miles, right? What a, what, a, what a difference between walking downcast, thinking about all the things that went wrong. I don't know about you, but I find myself on the downcast every once in a while. I call that a realist. My wife calls that a pessimist, right? We struggle with that. But there are times where we walk down these roads and we, we just don't know how to reconcile everything and there seems to be no way forward. But I've also learned that in the midst of this hopelessness, we see a risen Savior. I mean, time and time again, I have people, conversations with you and, and people with all walks of life, or, uh, those who, are, who, who have had great lives and great success and great everything to those who, who have had none. And they all say the same thing. When I was at my worst it, it, it is where I felt like God was the closest. When I was, I was in prison or when I was, when I was losing everything or when whatever it was that God meets with us where we are. In the midst of our hopelessness, in the midst of our disappointment, we see a risen Savior who, who opens our minds to a, a, another way. One who, who opens that hard-hearted heart to show us that, that life can be different. In the midst of, of hopelessness and disappointment, we see a, a risen Savior who gathers his children at the table that they might be encouraged and nourished by Christ's own presence. It's food for the soul. And after they've encountered this risen Savior, after their souls have been fed, their hearts are been, have been set on fire. And God scatters them back out into the world to partner in God's work and to share God's grace. God is with us. God has conquered sin and death to make a way to be with us, to be present around the table, to be present in the midst of our darkness, to be present on the mountaintops, to be here right now. This passage is called by some to be the journey of every Christian because it has all the elements of the Christian life. It has discouragement, disappointment, doubt, and risk, and times of deep faith, and the spirit of companionship, and times of interpreting Scripture, and the presence of Christ, and the sacraments, etc., etc., etc. You get it all. 
Sometimes we think that to live this life, everything has to be peachy and it has to be nice and we've got to have the smile on our face at all times, but we recognize that there are ups and downs of life and we might be up and we might be down, but either way, Jesus is on the road with us. So Lord, our friends, may we be reminded that the one who has conquered the grave, one who has been resurrected, is also the one that runs from the tomb to find those who have walked away. I'm thankful for those moments in my life. Well, as the band comes and helps us to reflect today, we ask and we pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, meet with us. Like we said in the beginning, God is with us. And, and not only is God with us, God knows us. God knows the, the point of our deepest need is a phrase that we use often. Like some of us here, things are great. Everything's awesome, and, and we've got two thumbs up, like good Americans, right? Some of us are in, in deep hurt and deep pain. We've been hurt by our family or our friends, or we've been struggling with this or with that. And so we pray that, that this would be a time where we open ourselves up and we remember that the bread has been broken, that we don't have to continue to walk down that path, but Jesus invites us to something different. And so may we reflect on that as we sing today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have conquered sin and death. Lord, if we've learned anything from these disciples... We ask and we uh, pray that you would help us, that you'd enable us to invite you in. Lord, we need you. We need your presence and your power. We need your resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand for the benediction today. In our church, we, uh, we have a benediction where we ask you to put your hands out to receive the, the blessing as you go. And this is an awkward position because we're not used to this. But we know that every one of us needs this when we think about Jesus. And so, friends, beloved church, may you go expectant that the one who has conquered sin and death will intersect with you and invites you into a new way forward because the resurrection is enough. May you go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed.